0: We are in on a series in the Old Testament, and we've been walking through and addressing the major themes. So this is the last installment, and we find Israel in exile, and so Pastor Curtis is going to talk about being in exile. And uh, if you have a Bible, turn to Ezekiel 37, and eventually Pastor Curtis is going to take us there. But before he does that, I just wanted to introduce Pastor Curtis for those of you who, who may not know him. Our speaker is many, many things. He is a former pastor with our sister church, Living Hope. I hope you guys don't mind that we call you uh, sister church. You know, I, yeah, I mean, that's how we feel about you guys. Good, good. It's, it's reciprocal, it's mutual, it's mutual. And right now, uh, Pastor Curtis is in a discernment period. He's asking God, what's next? But this is a man that's very called, very gifted. He is a popular youth conference speaker. He is husband to Monique and father to Noah. He is a hip-hop artist and rapper, published author, and former medical doctor. I made that last part up. But the whole list is so impressive, I thought, why not just add to it, you know? Um, And on top of that, Pastor Curtis is a very uh, cool person. I don't know if pastors and cool normally always go together. I mean, outside of this church, you know. But but Pastor Curtis is just very relevant, very cool. And on top of that, he's an old friend. He's not old, but we have history together. He is a gospel-saturated man, and we are blessed to have him here. Let's give a hand for Pastor Curtis as he comes.
1: Thank you so much. Man, excited to be with you guys today. Uh, It is always an honor and a privilege to be here with this crew. Uh, I truly do feel like this is family for me, so it's definitely a coming home. Even though I drove two hours to be here, it is still home for me. Uh, Second home, we'll say that. Uh, Yeah, just uh, briefly uh, to catch up, just because we are Family, some of you guys were aware because you were uh, present at our last time uh, in Living Hope's uh, care. Uh, We, Monique, myself, and my son Noah, have taken a step of faith. Uh, We moved to Sacramento uh, about three months ago. Uh, We'll talk a little bit today in our message about some of the origins and the places of Uh, kind of discerning that kind of catalyzed that that journey, that jump. Uh, We uh, experienced some suffering in our uh, situation and it kind of caused us to find some good places of questions and exploration and, and we'll jump into some of that. But, uh, everything is completely healthy. We are in great relationship with everyone at Living Hope. Uh, we miss them dearly. We miss Richmond. We miss our time, uh, living there. Uh, but God has something for us that we're not exactly sure what it is just yet, but we are discerning and, uh, would love to invite you guys to join us in that discernment process to pray with us and for us. I think today uh, will help to uh, clear up some of that uh, direction that you can be praying for us as we move forward. Uh, But just wanted to kind of update you guys uh, with that way. I'm so excited about the direction uh, of this series and to be able to have the opportunity to Kind of bookend or anchor uh, as uh, Pastor Andrew was saying. But man, the beauty of seeing some of the major themes in the Old Testament provides two things. Number one, we are able to see the presence of Jesus from the very beginning of Scripture. Hopefully you guys have been able to see that for yourselves, that all throughout from Genesis 1-1 all the way to Revelation uh, at the end of the Bible, but certainly the end of Malachi in the Old Testament, we see that Jesus is continually the star of the show. No matter whether you are looking at the Old Testament or New Testament, Jesus is who we are pointing to all throughout Scripture. Then the second thing that is really cool about the Old Testament is we are able to look at some of these major themes, these stories, these incredible accounts that we recount as we read through Scripture. And we can look at some very specific situations, some very specific things that are happening. But as onlookers, we can see how all of those things, these very specific stories and amazing accounts can apply to our lives here in 2014. It's very cool how that happens, that this very specific encounter, this very specific thing that is speaking to a very specific people, can encourage us even in our current situations. I think it's important for us to know that today as we jump into the scripture that we're going to look at in the book of Ezekiel. You guys are finishing this series with this idea that Israel is in exile. What does that really mean for us as Christians today in America? Israel is in exile, and the major title or the hope that we uh, hope to find as a result of this message, this section of the Multiply curriculum is Exile and the Hope of Restoration. Now I think both of those two things right there are very significant for every single individual in this room because many of us are either coming out of <clears throat> are currently in or are about to enter into some suffering. That's just the reality of life. That's the reality of what God tells us all throughout scripture he says that in this life there will be trials. And that is speaking to even those that are following Jesus. There will be times where suffering is a part of our equation. There will be trials. There will be hard times. And in the book of James chapter 1 verse 2, it says that we should consider it all joy when facing trials of many kinds. And that's significant because sometimes we can think, well, suffering is simply just the big things, like it's this big issue, this big problem, but we can encounter suffering of many kinds. It's important for us to know that that suffering is a part of our equation in life. And we're going to talk a little bit about our hope inside of that today, but it's so important for us to be able to look at this story in the Old Testament about a very specific situation for a very specific people and how this situation can provide such great encouragement for all of us. I hope that's our hope today, that we would be encouraged and we would believe that Jesus is big enough to sustain us even in the midst of our situation. So if you wouldn't mind... I know we prayed, but I love to just pray right before we jump in, because I would love for you to pray for me. I want to pray for you that God would be huge during this time and that it would not be about anything else except for him. And so, Father, we open our hands, ready for you to take from us whatever you want to take from us and give to us whatever you think we need. God, we trust you during this time. I pray that the name of Jesus would be a banner above this place, i pray that we would continually uh, point to him it says in the word that salvation is found in no one else there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved and that name is jesus and i pray that right now we would be encouraged no matter where we are today no matter what our situation i pray that we would be encouraged knowing that there is hope there is hope there is hope we love you pray john 330 that i would be small you would be huge Be lifted up in Jesus' name. Amen. Great theologian and writer Karl Barth once shared this bit of information that has encouraged me immensely. It has encouraged me so much when it comes to an opportunity to share from God's word to his people, to encourage one another with the truth of the Bible. This quote right here just invigorates me and helps me to press on as I move forward. And this quote is this. He says, when it comes to the Christian life, we are all amateurs. When it comes to the Christian life, we are all Amateurs. There are many men that are far more intelligent than I. There are many men that have experienced so much more in life than I have. There are men that know more theology in their little finger than I will ever, 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 ever begin to know in my little brain. But what's so amazing is that when it comes to the Christian life, we are all amateurs. We are all on this journey trying to discern and understand what it means in this deep, bottomless well to drink of him and to understand his beauty and his glory in the midst of walking out this life. And when it comes to what we are talking about today, I simply say that I am a beggar trying to show other beggars where the bread is. That's our hope. There is no place of achievement coming from this pulpit this morning. It is simply out of brokenness that I share and encourage all of us. In Ezekiel chapter 37, many of you have heard this story or read this story, but I pray that it's an encouragement to us. Remember, we're dealing with the people of Israel and their exile and their hope for restoration. And we see right here, right out of the gate, a pretty amazing vision, a pretty amazing story. Verse one says the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you. And you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. And in some translations, it'll even say a shaking or an earthquake. And behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Verse 9, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe On these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath came into them. And they lived and stood on their feet. An exceedingly great army. Verse 11. Then he said to me, son of man. These bones are the whole house of Israel. Remember Israel was looking for hope. Israel. In exiles looking for restoration. These bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God. Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know That I am the Lord, I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Is that not an amazing story? Man, we read that story and it's so captivating. You can be someone who has no interest in the scriptures, in Jesus, but if someone is telling that story, you are captivated, you are locked in. That is a pretty amazing story, this vision of the bones, these bones being dried up. And as you kind of look deeper into the account, you realize these bones being bleached and completely white, dried out totally by the sun. And it says that there are many bones Bones. And there's this message coming from the Lord saying, I will bring those bones back to life. What a beautiful story. And then he goes on to say, you see those bones, those bones right there, that's the whole house of Israel. I want you to take this message that I can restore life to those bones to Israel. To remind them that they are my people and I can restore their lives. I can Get them out of their graves and bring them back to health. I can do this. You go tell them that. What a bit of encouragement this had to be to hear this story coming directly from the Lord. And to know that this prophecy would be true. Man, how encouraging this is. And friends, when I had this wonderful invitation to come and join you guys today to anchor this series, to look at the hope of restoration for an exiled people, it directly associates with my situation right now. Part of our moving to Sacramento was birthed out of this season of suffering that we experienced as a family. Now, I know that this is something that happens to many families, and I know that this is something that people handle or deal with in different ways, but for us, this was an earth-rattling type of situation. My wife and I Had been married for about five years at the time, and we were hopeful that we would have children. And we were super excited to find out that we were indeed pregnant. And when we found out we were pregnant, we were so overjoyed. We thought, thank you, Lord, this is the time for us to move into a new phase of life, of ministry, of joy. And soon after we found out, we realized that we had miscarried. Again, this is something that many families experience, but for us it was earth shattering. So much hope and joy that we had placed into that situation was now gone. About six months later, we realized that we were pregnant again. And with trepidation, we move forward with the doctor appointments, going hopefully to these appointments that we would hear news that this time it would be different. But as we continued to go, the doctor would see different things inside of the ultrasounds that could have been okay, but also could not be good. So we had to keep going back for weeks, for weeks. And there was inconclusive evidence on whether or not we were carrying a healthy baby, and five days before Christmas, we miscarried again. We were ramping up to go and to share the good news with the whole family, and now my wife is in the emergency room at 2 a.m. trying to pass our unborn child. Man, this shook us to the core. This was This earth-rattling type of situation that happened for my wife and I. I know many people have experienced this, but for us, it crushed us. We, through the first time, were able to look at scriptures like Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 5, which says, Suffering will produce endurance, which will produce character, which will produce hope, and hope will not put us to shame. We looked at that verse in James where it says that we are supposed to count it joy when facing trials, and all of that sounded so good coming out of our mouths, and as we were engaging the seizing of suffering, we said, hopefully, as we press forward with these words, as we continue to share them with one another, we share them with other people, maybe God, through some magical way, will use our share sharing of these words and restore life back inside of us. But we began to realize even though we were hopeful and sharing these words, we were still destroyed. It felt like we were in exile. And then to realize that only six months later, we experienced the same exact thing again, but this time far more painful for my wife and this time far more along in the process. It was awful. You know what I began to realize is that this suffering thing is no joke. Man, we could talk about it all day, we could preach messages about it all day, but this suffering thing is real. And I want to come today, first before I even jump into any of these points, to say to you that your season of suffering is no joke. And I want you to know as a brother and as a friend that it's completely valid for you to fill hurt. Your pain does not make you weak. You are not less than because you are weathering a storm. Suffering is real. But the first thing I want to look at from this passage of scripture that we might be encouraged today is that, number one, the beauty of the gospel is that we have a vivid picture of what we've been rescued from. In verse 1, chapter 37, it says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. Verse 2, he said, And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. Doesn't it feel like our season of suffering is exactly like this? That there is nothing but carnage and dry bones where there is no life. If you look at other translations, when it talks about the nature of the very dry bones, it is very descriptive in a sense that these bones have been there and there is absolutely no life ever, ever, ever potentially going to happen here again. This field, not just these bones, but this field represents a field of death. Destruction and exile. Many of us are in situations or have been or will be in situations of suffering that can be represented of this very description that when we look at our lives, we feel nothing but dry bones is a part of our story. These bones that are bleach white because the sun has absolutely sucked every bit of life from them. We understand our baseline because of the gospel, the story of Jesus, the whole narrative of scripture points to him. And what we see even from this story is that there is a baseline. There is something that we've been rescued from. And whether it is a season of suffering or the reality that every single one of us is born separated from God, we realize that this is what we can be rescued from through Jesus. The desolation, the death there is no life and there is no hope. That's what we see from the story of the gospel. But what that moves us to is point number two. The Lord provides comfort in the midst of suffering. See, this is something that's very interesting to navigate. This is something that isn't really easily communicated Or even easily received. Like this is not the idea that many of us want to journey toward. Because what we are taught in most of our culture, what we are taught even in many churches, is that not only is God not a comfort in the middle of suffering, you shouldn't even suffer if you're a Christian. Some churches will tell us that. If you are suffering, you need to check your faith. But friends, I I know that the wonderful doctor that just gave five minutes of pure truth would say, Man, there are plenty of friends in China right now who love and serve Jesus, but are suffering things at the hands of their oppressors in ways that we can't even understand. So it is not evidence of your lack of Christianity that you are suffering. No, quite the contrary. It says that in this life there will be trials, but what we can take hold of, what we can be encouraged by, is that Jesus will provide comfort in the middle of our suffering. In the book of James, if you have your Bible, we're going to turn over there for a second. James chapter 1. In James 1, what we see right here is, This very truth at play, there is some encouragement in this book coming to people who are followers of Jesus that are suffering at the hands of oppressors. And this encouragement is basically how should you respond in the midst of your season of suffering? Not there won't be suffering, so be encouraged. No, but as suffering comes, who are you to be in the midst of that suffering in light of Jesus? Man, that is so important for us to see. And what we see right here in verse 12 of James chapter 1, it says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Steadfast, immovable, not changing. Blessed is the man who, while experiencing trials, remains steadfast in their faith. Man, this is so important. But the thing I want to look at right here is actually in James 1.16. Because this is something that I think is very significant for many of us who are in the midst of trials that are questioning why in the world would this happen? Even if you're not experiencing this, I know many of us in this room have even voiced the question, well, why would God let bad things happen to good people? Well, James one sixteen says, do not Be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should become kind of first fruits of his creatures. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes from above. Remember, he's in the middle of sharing with these folks how they should be encouraged in the midst of suffering. And he has the audacity to share right after in verse 14 and 15, talking about how God is not the one who would introduce suffering so that we might fail, but that we would be able to know him better. And then he goes on to say, look, every good gift comes from above. Every perfect gift comes from God. We should never be confused about this fact. You know what this tells me when when he says that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above? He's saying to us essentially this, suffering, suffering is a gift. Man, that's hard for some of us to hear. It's hard for me to hear. It's hard for me to think about in the midst of pain and toil and trial whatever your suffering looks like, to hear that suffering may be a gift for me is the most laughable and ridiculous thing that I could even think of. You know why? Because I'm looking at this suffering through my lenses and my lenses are a little bit cloudy and quite frankly, way off. (laughs) When I'm looking through my lenses at this suffering, I have one hope, one thing that is on my mind. Get me out of here. When I'm looking at suffering, all I want is an ejector seat. You guys know what an ejector seat is, right? You ever see those guys that are flying on a plane? And then when they see danger, it's like, oh boy, I'm out of here. Bam, right? And then they just shoot out, poof, right? They get up out of that plane. Little parachute comes, they float down, and then you see the plane explode. That's like on the movies. I don't know if that's really how it goes down. But on the movies, that's how it happens. And I'm like, man, when I think about suffering, that's what I want. I want the ejector seat. I don't want to be in the middle of this suffering. But those are my lenses. Those are our friends' lenses. That's that's what the world would look at in the midst of our season of suffering. They would say, you know what, man? This is all bad right here. There is nothing good about our situation. But what we see right here is that every good and perfect gift comes from above. So friends, how can we even think about tying that knot together that God would be good in the midst of our suffering? Well, it says that as a result of our suffering, we will become complete in verse four of James chapter one, lacking nothing. We can only truly become who God desires for us to be as a result of this suffering. Man, that's hard to hear. Man, it's so hard to hear. I I get it makes sense, but it's hard to hear. But what's so beautiful is that he provides comfort for us in the midst of our suffering. If we go back to Ezekiel, in verse 3, it says, And he said to me, Son of man, As he's standing in this desolate field of dry bones, it says God says to him and his voice says to him, son of man, can these bones live? And it says that he replied, oh, Lord God, you know. He provides comfort in the midst of our desolation. As we are there in the midst of our suffering season, when there is dryness and death only visible to us, he provides comfort for us. Imagine how comforting it is to hear the God of the universe say, can these bones live? And to respond because it's so Simple, it's so ridiculous to think otherwise. The God of the universe is saying, can't these bones live? Of course they can, God, you know that. Many of us are asking that question in the midst of our season of suffering. Can these bones live? We, we, We look at where we're at right now in this pain and in this trial and we're saying, man, is it possible for life to be restored to our situation? I know that I looked at my wife and asked that same thing. Man, we can't have kids. Every time we attempt to do this, there is pain and toil. It is difficult. It is hard. It has stolen this element of joy. They're saying that we're not sure if we're going to be able to do this. Man, of course we're going to begin to look at ourselves and each other and say, man, can, can there be life here again? I don't know what your situation is, but I know you might be looking at it and saying, man, can life be restored? Maybe God is saying to us in his comforting way, can these bones live? And prayerfully, our response is, God, you know. You know if they can live because you are God. You know. I think about the verse in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, which talks about Jesus and the gift that he is to us. And it says this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That is the beautiful gift of what Jesus has provided for us. But then check out what it says. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Remember, apart from God, we are enemies of God. But through what Jesus has done, he brought us near to God. He restored the connection back to a holy God who could have no dealing with our sin. But because of what Jesus has done, he provides access for us back to a holy God. And not only connecting us to God, but in the midst of our waiting season, he is our God peace isn't that interesting that it says this what that means is while we are suffering he is our comfort not only in word but also in deed he is our peace through jesus we can weather suffering the problem for many of us is that even though we would profess jesus we try to find our comfort in sources other than jesus and because we try to find our comfort in sources other than Jesus, even though we profess Jesus, we are not finding comfort. We are finding temporary fulfillment, which leads to emptiness. But Jesus can be our peace. He provides comfort. Now I think about the next thing, that the story of Jesus provides a clear voice in the midst of suffering he can speak to us that's one of the things that I was very very opposed to and seasons of suffering in my life I've never immediately gone to the idea that God is saying something to me while I am suffering it's actually quite the contrary I feel like God is far off I feel like God is silent I feel like I'm here in the season of suffering, and where is God in all of this? I don't know if this is you, but this has been me. But it's interesting. If we look at the book of James once again, in James chapter one, we see such a vivid picture. In verse 19, it says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now, I don't know about you guys, because you guys are super spiritual people. So I don't know about you. (laughs) But for me, there have been times in my life where I have spoken before I thought, not you, but me. Have there ever been times in your life where your immediate response before even thinking one second is to, right? Just spit something out and you immediately regret this instance, right? I mean, this happens for us. Our anger can overtake us at times. Our fleshly anger, which it goes on to say, does not produce righteousness. But our anger will lead us to lash out. Or how about this instance? Have you ever been in a conversation where you're talking to someone, and quite frankly, you are not even listening to what they are saying. You are just waiting for your turn to speak. I mean, probably not you guys. That's why I know. But me. I mean, there are times when you're talking to someone and it may be a bit of intense fellowship, as we like to say, and you are talking together and they are trying to get their point across. And to you, it sounds like Charlie Brown's teacher, which sounds like, right, right? And they're talking to you and you are muting them. And as soon as they go to take a breath, you jump in. Friends, this is exactly what many of us do in the midst of our season of suffering. God desires to speak to us in our season of suffering. But friend, many of us, we, we we have no clue that this is the case because we are so quick to speak out of anger because we're looking at things through our lenses. We are not seeing Jesus in the midst of any of this. All we're doing is trying to eject or seat our way out, try to look for other remedies. When Jesus is saying, stop, look, listen, I want to say something to you because as a result of this season, you will be the man, you will be the woman that I want you to be. So stop and listen, listen. I remember the old folks used to say, now this is probably from my time when I lived down south in Tennessee, but it's one of those old folks, grandpa kind of sayings. So you could tuck this away if you're a young person, if you're an older folk, you, know, you can use it right now, I guess. <laughs> but the old folks used to say, you got two ears and one mouth. That means you got more equipment for listening than for talking. <laughs> What that basically means is you need to listen before you speak. How often in the midst of our suffering are we looking for a place to vent? I just want to vent about God, about this person, about this situation. I just want to get it out. I just want to just let it out. We're looking for this way to vent. We just want to get it out. I just want to talk. I want to talk. I want to talk. When was the last time we would stop and say, okay, God, I get it. What do you want to say to me right now? In the midst of my season of suffering, what are you trying to tell me? He provides a clear voice in Ezekiel 37, 4. Says, then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews and ligaments upon you, and you will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you. There is some very clear direction that is coming here. If we stop and listen in the midst of this desolate, dry season, if we listen, maybe God will say to us very specifically, while you are in this dry place, this is what I have for you. But we need to listen. We need to listen to see what he's saying to us. Here's a man named C.S. Lewis, an amazing writer and thinker, and he said this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God just wants us to listen. He wants to meet with us. In the midst of our season of our exile. And the last thing I want to share today is that the gospel, the story of Jesus points to hope in the midst of our situation. We see, number one, this baseline situation. We see what we need to be rescued from, the story of Jesus, the the recounting of these stories in the Old Testament, this recount right here of, of what Ezekiel is experiencing. It gives us the baseline. There is death, there is destruction, and there is no life. And then we begin to see that he provides comfort for us, Because of what he has done, if we understand that Jesus is our redeemer, our rescuer, he provides comfort. And he can speak to us in the midst of our season of suffering. But the most significant thing that I can say to you today is that there is hope in the midst of our suffering. There is hope. You know what? The first thing that I heard in my season of suffering that encouraged Monique and I, man, the first thing that I heard was this. It is okay to not be okay. I'd never heard that before because I was a leader in ministry and I was doing things and I was always talking about Jesus and I was telling people about his love and his grace and I was out there doing all kinds of different stuff. And so, so many people in my life have looked to to me in in loving and encouraging ways saying, man, well, you could probably figure it out. In tough situations, they would just kind of step back and say, man, I'm just going to give you some space because... You know Jesus. Talk about him all the time. I needed to realize, man, it's okay to not be okay. That the pain and the suffering that I was experiencing was real. And as a matter of fact, it wasn't only real, but it hurt. And it was okay to acknowledge that. Didn't make me less of a man, less of a Christian, less of a pastor. It was real. But let me say this to you, that's great that I found that place, that's great that I found that security and the reality that it's okay to not be okay, but friends, that's not where it needed to stop. I still needed people in my life, I still needed to be feeding myself the truth of the story that even though it's okay to not be okay, whether I believe it or not, there is hope. I need to be preaching that to myself. I need somebody else preaching that to me. I need to be seeing the word and seeing the restoration. That there is hope, even if I don't believe it right now. Imagine getting this word that Ezekiel gets in verse 7. Where it says, so I prophesied as I was commanded. Like he hears this instruction from God, tell dry bones with no evidence of life speak to these bad boys and they're going to get up and they're going to walk around. And then it says, so I prophesied as he said, imagine the faith to believe that this is going to happen. But you got to believe that there is an instance where you say, wait, 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 hold on. you going to do what? <laughs> but whether you believe it or not, we need to be speaking to the truth that God can resurrect our situation. And then it goes on to say that he prophesied and it says that he looked and he saw that there were bones with the sinews on them and the flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them. He begins to see, he begins to see that this is actually happening. But then I think that there is something so significant for us as we finish our time together. That as we have this pointing to hope as we are encouraging one another that, man, this season of suffering, God wants to say something to you. God is going to use it. God is going to shape you in ways that you couldn't even be shaped without the season of suffering. This is the most significant thing that we need to remember. He prophesies over these bones. These bones stand up. They begin to have flesh come upon them and they are standing there before him. But look at what he says. But There was no breath in them. Man, I think that this is so significant for us. There's this pointing to hope like there's this evidence that it's gonna happen, but there was no breath. And I feel like there's this pause right here in the story. Like it didn't all just happen right away. I feel like this pause is here for us. I feel like we look at this pause and we say, okay, wait, wait, wait. It's this reiteration. It's this reminder that the source of life is Jesus and only Jesus. It's the reminder that God, only God can bring life in the midst of a dry and deadly season. It's this pause that for me, when I look at it, I'm like, wait, he said to prophesy and then he prophesies, But then there's this pause like, wait, the story's not done. There was no breath. And it's almost like he needs to remember, OK, it is God that brings life. It is God that provides the source of everything that is good. It is God. So it causes him to go back and God speaks to him and gives him new direction. He says, okay, call out to the four winds and the breath will come. It is God. It is so clear that it is God that brings the source of life in the midst of our suffering. And if we go to verse 12, after he says, okay, these dry bones, these dry bones represent the whole house of Israel. But then he says in verse 12, tell them, I want you to tell them that I will take them out of their graves and I will give them life. I just want to say to you today, whether it's you or a family member, whether you're confused, whether you're hurt. I just want to remind you today that it is God who will bring the source of life. And not only are we encouraged that he will bring the source of life, but he is the only one that can bring life from death. I don't know where you're at today and where you've been looking for the source of encouragement or strength in the middle of your season of suffering. But understand that he can speak to us if we listen. He can comfort us in the midst of our suffering. And because of who he is, we can have hope. Now, what that hope looks like may be different than what we expect. Isn't that usually the case? We have our idea of the outcome of the situation, but God does something completely different. The question is, do we trust that the source of life, do we trust that the giver of life knows better than us? who are clouded in our vision in the midst of our suffering, do we blindly, with faith, trust that he will do what is necessary, not only for our best, but more importantly, for all of his glory? Because that's the point of everything, isn't it? We say it, but do we feel it? The last quote is from a man named Charles Dickens an apropos time you know near the holiday season to talk about Charles Dickens but man this is a wonderful quote from a brilliant man and this is exactly what we experienced in our lives in our family in our season of suffering as pastor Andrew shared earlier we actually do have a son his name is Noah he's nine months old and he is awesome But even though we have Noah, very often we wonder, what about our other two? Because they are our children, and they will be forever. But we experience this this truth that this quote shares, and I just want to share it with you. Charles Dickens says, suffering has been stronger than all other teaching." and has taught me to understand what your heart used to be. I have been bent and broken, but I hope into a better shape. Let me pray for you guys. God, I, I know that there are some in here today that needed to hear that it's okay to not be okay. Okay. And so I pray that you would bring encouragement and confidence to them as they begin to rest in that truth that they are not less than, that they are not off because they are feeling pain. But God, I pray that they are encouraged by that, that we all feel pain and hurts and it is okay for us to not be okay. But I pray that these friends, just like myself, would not rest in that truth, but that we would move forward toward the hope that even though it is okay to not be okay right now, there is a hope in Jesus. There is a hope because of God and your glory. There is a hope that we can point to understanding that you have our greater interest in mind and because of who you are as a redeemer and a rescuer, God, you can meet with us in our suffering and rescue us from it. Whether we believe it or not today, that is true. So I pray for all of my friends today that we would stop looking for the ejector seat, that we would stop looking to other sources of encouragement, that we would stop looking to just vent our problem out, but that maybe for one time we would stop And we would ask you one simple question. God, what are you trying to say to me? Thank you, God. Amen.